Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Yeah, and, and whose idea was it? Theirs? Yeah, I mean, I got a, I just got a phone call out of the blue. It was really bizarre, actually, because I was at a friend's house for dinner, which kind of segued into a big booze-up. And literally the last song that my mate Ewan played was Lazy Line Painter Jane, a Bell Sebastian single from yeah. about 1997. And we were booming it out, and everyone was very drunk. And... I normally get up early in the mornings just to you know seize the day, maybe go a run or something like that if I'm not sort of working too early. My phone went, I didn't recognise the number. I was like, hello? I said, hi, Doug, it's Stuart Murdoch here. I was like, hello? Hello, how are you? See, that's like me getting a call from Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but I had met him. I had met him because I'd worked with his wife before doing some things for BAFTA. I mean, she used to work for BAFTA. And he just said... We're doing. We've decided to do a, a film stroke TV show. Got the new album coming out. We don't want to go around radio stations, TV stations, and um, we really want you to be involved in it. So I can add this mixture of red wine hangover, thinking back to the last song we'd played the night before. And you, and with these things, you know, if Bob Dylan did phone you up, you'd be like, "Well, sure, it sounds interesting, Bob. You know, let's, you know, what, can you give me a bit more information on it? You know, and your heart's kind of thumping a bit because you're like, this is genuinely, of course." Genuinely exciting because my kind of top four bands of all time would be the Stones up till and including Goat's Head Soup with yeah. a slight few others afterwards. Ooh, like. Controversial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the last great yeah, Stones yeah, album. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, it's fighting talk, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, can, um, let's see if you can do better with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're very open minded uh, here. <laughs> no, again, that's, that's definitely just my opinion. Yeah. Um, the, the Smiths, uh, the Beta Band, and Bell and Sebastian, they are sort of my. My kind of four favourite bands of all time. Yeah. Beta band who famously appear in that scene in High Fidelity, don't they? Yeah. Put the, and the Beta band who are no longer, you know, together. The Smiths obviously no longer together. The Stones still together, but I can't really imagine them phoning me up. So to get a phone call like that was genuinely exciting. And he just said, "Yeah, we don't want to do promotion. We want to do. It. We've got an idea. We'll do a, a couple of performances, and um, we'll. It's kind of like a TV show, and it's like a film. And then he said to me, "We saw your film that you did, because I'd done a short film last year." Vaguely about love, a little sort of comedy thing, which talked about music in it as well. And he said, 
It's obvious you can do characters. I was really playing myself as a, someone who's been fairly unlucky in love over the years. You've, you've been identified as a character actor. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I, was, I was like, well, sure, you know, I mean, I love, I love doing characters. Thinking to myself, oh, I wasn't a character. That was basically my life, you know, on film. And, uh, and that was it. And, and, and he said, we're just about to get on a plane to Madrid, so um, speak to you next week. So it got to next week, and I was like, no phone calls coming in just yet, you know. I'll, I'll wait till Thursday. Nothing on Thursday. Sent a preemptive text from the Friday. Just can we clarify that date when we're filming in August? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. All happening, bloody blah, and it did. So it was kind of bizarrely on the back of me working with his wife and him seeing me do these hour-long interviews with people like Graham Linehan and stuff yeah. about their about their work, and seeing this short film that I'd done, and all the time when I was speaking to him, I was kind of trying to keep my fandom down to a decent level, you know. But the good thing was I knew the band inside out. And So whose idea was it to have the... Because in the, in the film at one point there's a, there's a kind of Q&A, isn't there? Yeah, it's, it was... It's it like was, news night, It actually. was their they're, idea. They're, they're sitting behind a kind of table as a panel. Yeah. Taking uh, questions from the floor. Yeah, I know. it was Because they, they got fans from all around... Well, sorry, I was going to say all around the world, some from Europe, but mostly from the UK... I found myself talking about, you know, some guy from London, talk, you know, I was outside talking to him about the tube system and stuff, you know, because he was the only person who knew it inside out like I did. Um, and bizarrely, you know, you mentioned before about when I'm talking to them in a classroom, because I said, he said, I've got this idea. You know, it was very sort of, you know, to the minute, like, I've got a new idea. I was like, OK, fine, you know, let's, let, let's go with this. All the time not wanting to upset the apple cart, you know. Uh, it's, it's a guy's idea how you could play kind of like our manager, but we'll talk about the music industry. I was like, great, okay. And he said, here's a script. I said, a script? I, said, I don't think we're working with a script. He said, well, this is actually an email that our manager sent to us. So when I'm talking in the classroom... Not quite so freeform and spontaneous after those all. Are, yeah, those are How very controlling. the words of literally their real manager talking about state of the music industry, how you have to get free downloads out and, you know, making money is impossible now through record sales. Is this still their manager? Or is this a past manager? That yeah, yeah. And, current manager? and I've never met the guy, but I'm going to... Because Bell and Sebastian are curating all tomorrow's parties in December, where, which I'm going to. I'm going to probably bump into this guy who I've played a version of, <laughs> um... Which I've never had, you know, I've always played a version of myself really before. But, but this is fantastically rarefied. This is a play within a play within a play, isn't it? So, so what they're doing um, is doing their own press by, by getting you in and writing a script based on. Uh, this is an art statement. Well, no, well, you say, well, you say write a script. But I mean, it's about the, as far as doing a, an interview with, well, with, with the Guardian though, as you possibly yeah, get. Well, the thing was, though, um, they said, you know, introduce us, you know, we'll play a couple of songs and all that. And I said, what, what would you, anything you'd like me to say? They're like, no, we don't want you to say things like, we've, they've got a new album coming out, here they are, back after four years. Just say anything you want, which is good in theory, <laughs> but, you know, to say anything you want, you know, it's quite... De- and they also said to me, you know, we, we love Tony Wilson, we love the way he just go off on flights of fancy. And I was like, well, I've got no problem with going off on flights of fancy. I, I do that all the time anyway. Not in a professional context, just in general. And... Um, so I did, I just kind of thought about, you know, something about what music adds and what music gives and um, talking about, you know, sort of if you fall over in the street, you get back up again, you run out of milk and all this. And I was saying this with an audience, the band, the crew, and it was the first ever time I've spoken into a camera where literally nobody knew, had an inkling what I was going to say. So I'd be like, was that OK? They're like, brilliant! 
Because <laughs> <laughs> you stood up and you kept talking. I remember thinking, I'll tell you what, that, that never She's used to happen. Keep going. That never used to happen on BBC Three or <laughs> Tinder Park or Glastonbury. It's, it's the most chilling thing a, a rock group can say, which is, oh, just say anything you like. Because we've discussed on this podcast in the past Jeff Lloyd's experience of introducing Bell and Sebastian at Latitude. Oh, we did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when he talks about well, old, the smell of an old yeah, bookshop. Well, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. Jeff had well, this perfectly nice intro. Mm, and, love you know, it. And <laughs> then they went on stage, and the first thing they did was kind of rip the piss out of what yeah. he said. Yeah, so you got you a, a real pasting on that. <laughs> yeah. Because they, they objected to the concept of them doing some old. But all he was trying to do was say that they had, yeah, it was the kind of general scent of How did you object to it? I very, know, very, you know, you know. It's the kind of thing people do object But uh, have we... Uh, are you going to introduce the voices? You probably should, actually. I, Sorry. Uh, well, what, uh, what's your name? <laughs> Mark Ellen. OK. Yes. Fraser Lurie. And, uh, and Dougie Anderson. Yes. Dougie, nice to see you. It's, it's, uh, Man about yeah. town. Representative of the Scottish nation. Yeah. Word reader. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've even, as you know, I wrote a kind of a eulogy about the words once. Eulogy, that you did. We were very grateful. And, and, and I have to thank the only, the only reason you probably ever saw that was the, thank you to Jim White, a contributor to the magazine, obviously, who I was talking to about it. And he said, "You've got to send that to to Mark. He'd love it." And I was like. Yeah, but if you write something in praise or in appreciation of something, you kind of write it for fans of what you're writing about, not for the people who have created it. And then I thought, oh, sod it, I'll just send it to him. You know, maybe one day I'll be able to podcast well, Mark, in a room Mark full of boxes. doesn't get a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> he gets an awful lot of people complaining about whatever they're faced with. No, I get a little bit of love you get, sometimes. Yes. Yeah. You get, and it's very much appreciated. Very well, much. So if anybody out there wants to send a similar, you know, piano price, yeah. you know, yeah. we're, we're open to those things, aren't we? Do. I, should, I should talk about Bell and Sebastian Yes, further. go on. See, Bell and Sebastian... It just fascinates me because I, I'm, I'm a terrible, uh, a terrible rock critic, but I'm not a rock critic because mm-hmm. I, I tend to like virtually everything, which makes me absolutely fundamentally useless at the job. <sighs> I tend to see the, the value and the, the, the good aspects of virtually every group, which is fine if you're an editor rather than a rock critic. But Bell and Sebastian, I just simply, I can't, I've tried, I've, I've put them on the cover of magazines, I've promoted them vigorously, i promote them uh, probably as a compensation, actually even more vigorously for the fact that I don't like them than, than the fact that I do. I, heard someone... I appreciate how popular they are, but I went and stood at the front of the stage uh, when they played the Latitude Festival last summer, and I waited for the magic to, to, to set. Mm. And I, I suppose it just didn't. I mean, it's, I mean, it's nothing to do with not liking fey groups. I like Donovan. You know, I've got a version of the Tinker and the Crab. <laughs> You know, uh, it's it's nothing to do with that. I, I like the Incredible mm. String Band. You know, I just, I, I, what did explain to me? Well, see, I, I don't think they're a fake group, although I know a lot of people do. And the word twee used to be mentioned a lot, not so much more now because the production on the records is a lot more polished. I mean, people say twee. I don't. I still don't really know what that means. Does that mean? You don't have a ridiculous raging guitar solo that you can sing in quite a soft manner. You know, because if that is twee, then twee should there should be more twee. But I don't see it in that way at all. I heard someone talking this week about how Bell and Sebastian are like marmite. You know, you love them or you hate them, and I don't yeah. really think you do. I think you love them, or you're just a bit ambivalent about them. And um, I just think that. Oh, I don't like. You don't no, like them? I don't, I, no, actually, that's a, that's fighting talk in an odd way, actually, because. <laughs> This, I tell you what I don't like about them. I always feel that they're sort of having a joke at everybody's expense. That's what I feel. I feel they're sort of laughing behind their hands at the people who are listening. That's, it's that's a completely irrational, and, and show there's no basis in it at all. 
but that's the feeling I get. I think they have. I think they kind of have... Well, they definitely have a DIY ethos and a bit of a, a sort of punk rock ethic about them, you know. And um, they, they definitely want to do things in their own way. They always have done. You know, when they used to release press shots with none of the band in it. Oh, so, yeah, there's, well, we've probably been on the current issue of the magazine. It's just a, it's a car with uh, somebody lying on the road in front of it. Mm. Apparently he's been... It looks actually like Stuart Murdoch. He's been, he's been hit by the car. Yeah. And, <laughs> panicked. and yes, there were lots See, of series. That's the kind of thing that fans look at and go, that's really cool. Yeah. This thing that Mark and I just look at it and go, pull yourself. I mean, I, had to be, I have to be honest with you. I didn't expect uh, both of you to be... <laughs> So <laughs> very rarely happens. So, I mean, this is. Part of it's editorial, you know. It's like when the, the art of noise <laughs> were a very big deal when I was editing whatever magazine I was editing. I can't remember now. And I used to ring up and say, "Can I have a picture of the art of noise?" And someone would come around a motorcycle messenger with a ride with a jiffy bag would contain a picture of a spanner. <laughs> oh, please keep it moving. I hate. I'm in the entertainment business here. Please, like, you see, it's no good to be the spanner. That, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a constant recurring motif, isn't it? This, you know, you're a pop group. Doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. Whether you're the Rolling Stones, Bell and Spastin, or you started this week. You're a pop guru. Get used to it. You know mm. what I mean? You look a certain way, people are going to make judgments about you based on what you sound like and what you look like and the way you come but is it, is it the music? You can't get away from that. Is it the music that you don't like? Or is it the... <laughs> uh, the music makes no impression on me whatsoever. I couldn't remember a single tune I've ever heard them okay, play. So, so by that, I'm guessing you're not a big fan of the music. <laughs> no, I'm just... The music's fine, but it's, it, it's, it doesn't... See, it's not very... What's the word? It's ineffectual. It's simpering. It's ineffectual. <laughs> and, and, and I don't feel it connects with me on any emotional level. <laughs> Sorry, it's not like that's, that's, like we've, 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 we've set, set up this whole thing. I know Dave felt this strongly about I've never had a conversation I'm happy to be I'm as surprised as you are yeah I'm happy to be I think they went home every night and played that lovely little song about the frog funny little frog funny little frog I'm happy to be a one I've turned into a one man army to defend Bell and Sebastian but I'll do it I've been in worse situations than this before there are many people who love them I don't deny that that's possibly one of the things that annoys us actually is that people whose taste we can generally identify with, <laughs> there's this kind of glitch in the middle of it, you know. And you think, hey, it's like most people are wired just differently, so they can, they can like Bell and Sebastian. Yeah, you think, I'm I, not. I, I thought I knew you. <laughs> no, 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 but how, how, do, how do you think I feel at the moment, having, having to defend Bell and Sebastian, and also having said that I think the last Great Stones album is Goat's Head Soup, which oh, was made with, with disapproval as well. You see, you're going just a tiny bit too far, <laughs> that, I'm you? afraid you're in that terrible <laughs> world. He's got we, one we too too have our own terrible world, which is that, you know, in the, in the word office, I quite often use the phrase, I know the answer to this. And that's when someone says, what's the best single ever made or something? And I always go, sorry, I, I know the answer to this, which is that kind of ludicrous arrogance that there is a right answer. You know, there is no... No, but the last, know, right, you know, come on, there is a right answer to the last really good Stones album. Well, it's Black and Blue. You know, no, 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 it's black and blue. It's worth it. Help me out, black and blue. Sticky fingers. You know, sticky fingers is, I think, the greatest Stones album. I don't think Exile is. I don't buy into it. I think it's a great album. Exile is the greatest standing Stones. Yeah, disappointing actually. My wife played it actually. It's one of her favourite records. We were driving back from Cornwall yesterday. And she played the whole of Exile It sounded like the same song about 15 times. Really good. I mean, I love it, but I, I just think, as albums go, Sticky Fingers is is the one. Although my, one of my favourites is Beggar's Banquet as well. I don't think it's quite as good as Sticky Fingers, but I prefer it in certain ways. The key issue, the key discovery that everybody has made about the Rolling Stones recently, and I like to feel we've been instrumental in this, is that the best Rolling Stones had Mick Taylor in them. 
I think, yeah, I mean, I think Brian Jones, the, the coolest pop star of all time, but um, especially if you listen to Get Your Yaya's Out, and, and ladies and gentlemen, The Rolling Stones, which has just now been released on DVD, Taylor is it's unbelievable. It's exceptional. It's utterly amazing. Unbelievable. I we're, we're calling him Taylor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Taylor's played a blow. <laughs> Ron may have got on with Keith slightly better, but yeah. I don't think he was any no, no, musically a substitute. Yeah. I've got to talk to you about, just briefly, on move on to the subject to Keith and Ron, actually, because I was watching a clip, which I think we posted on the site. I posted on the site. Solomon Burke died the other day. Um, 70 if he was a day mm-hmm. died on a plane on the way from Los Angeles to Amsterdam and posted a, a clip of the Rolling Stones where, where he appears on stage with them in Los Angeles a few years ago and Solomon Burke was huge absolutely enormous didn't so, he say he thought it was 35 stone well, and Ronnie Wood says I think more like 40 well, that's, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. it's classy it's classy <laughs> so whoever's cut stone. together that clip going I'm going to take the piss out of the fact yeah. that Ronnie just says what Keith has said yeah. but exaggerates it a bit more you know, so it goes, Keith, well, he must have been five hundred pounds. Straight cut to Ronnie goes, he must be six hundred pounds. You know, it's like I can. They're like two members of the In Betweeners cast or something. Yeah. You know, kind of stranded in their sixties. Extraordinary, but. Uh, Solomon Burke, I, the thing I wanted to talk about was Solomon, as well as being a musician, throughout his career was a bit of an entrepreneur. Mm. Did, you, did you know about this? I didn't. Did something to do with, what was it? A, a, well, he did all kinds of things. He was always looking for a commercial opportunity. So he had a string of mortuaries, obviously mainly dealing with the African-American community, spread all over the United States. Solomon Burke, you know, mortuaries, I'll, I'll sing you to rest. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> And uh, was there some self interest in that? The idea that well, his own music, at. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. No, no they, yeah. they, it was obviously his brand. It helped, mm. to, you know, that you could use your brand in anything. So yeah. why not use it in the in the undertaking business? Burke's burials. And <laughs> what's it called? The job he did was he. They were just when, when the you know people turned up and signed up for their their beloved to be you know dispatched into the hereafter by Solomon Burke Inc. Uh, Solomon would ring you up and and kind of add his. Sympathy is over the phone, you know. That was the edge of five thousand bucks. You know, that was the that was the Solomon Burke star premium that you got on your uh, got on your funeral. He'd be good at it too. Oh, I'm sure he'd be fantastic at it. But he also earlier in his career used to do slightly more, even more tawdry things actually. (laughs) Which is when he played the Apollo, he 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 got he fell into an argument with the people who ran the concession because he was trying to sell Solomon Burke magic popcorn, (laughs) magic popcorn at the auditorium. They said, No, I don't think so. We'll sell our own. <laughs> Sling it so, so he was outside. He ended up outside selling pork chops off a griddle on the sidewalk outside the like Apollo. He probably didn't sell very many. He just had to consume most of them himself. <laughs> so it just made it just made me think. You know, have we seen the last of the kind of entrepreneurial musicians? You know what I mean? Probably the guys who used to do stuff on the side. But he fell in favour for so long, didn't he, Solomon Burke? When was it not in 1980 when? You know, his, probably his most famous song was using the Blues Brothers. But it was credited to... Um, it wasn't credited to him, it was credited to... Well, he wrote it, didn't he? I think he wrote it. Yeah, but he didn't get the credit for it. So he phoned up and he was like... very blues. He was like, this is my, this is my song. They were like, we thought you were dead. Oh, really? And so, yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I think it was... They thought Wilson Pickett had done it. Well, Wilson Pickett did do it. At the yeah, but, but he, he, had, he, had, um, he had written it and stuff. Oh, and, really? Um, 
Hence the reason he had to have all these other business interests, I suppose, because half the people who used to put out his records it, it thought he was there dead. was no point in sending him anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> half people thought he was dead, and Ronnie Wood thought he was 40 stories. Well, like, and, uh, so, but I was, lose, I, was lose doing, I was doing some research on this this morning, and of course the entrepreneurial musician lives on in the hip-hop community. You know, because everybody, you know, Jay-Z and so forth, They've all got a clothing brand. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They've all got yeah. restaurants. Or they go into film in some way. I don't think rock music. I can't think, apart from Moby's tea shop. Moby had a tea shop, didn't he, in, in There's, New York? Moby's uh, got a tea shop. Uh, I'm here to tell you that Sammy Hager, uh, of Van Halen fame, uh, he opened a resort in, in Cabo San Lucas in Mexico called the Cabo Wabo. <laughs> Is that the correct pronunciation, <laughs> Fraser? I don't know. That's uh, still a bit entertainment. And out of there, he used to sell the Cabo Wabo tequila. Oh, right. It was his own branded, um, oh, right. branded drink, you know. So that's... Isn't it uh, Bill Wyman who sells his own brand of metal detectors? Oh, does he? Oh, really? So, yeah. Well, if, if that's not the case, it ought to be the case. <laughs> that's, but I like the fact that it's not in the entertainment sphere. You know, mm. Ian Anderson's Trout Farm, or it was, yeah. I thought, was, was, was a complete division between him and standing yes. on one leg playing the flute. It's yeah, going to be yeah. a totally different person. And although she, I don't think she makes music anymore, but Kim Wilde's a gardener now, isn't she? She, she presents of, a gardening She does program, a column, doesn't she? Yeah. She does yeah. a column. column in the Telegraph yeah. or something yeah. like that. There's Victoria Beckham, and, you know, people putting their name on, on fashion lines. Mm. And uh, I see young Beckham has got a line of uh, sunglasses already. Yeah, how old is Young Beckham? Five. Romeo Beckham. But you see, I That's think we're going. <laughs> I think as record sales continue to drop, I think we're going to see a comeback of this. I once thing. saw. I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm now nervous to go back to talking about Scottish indie pop music. Whoa, no, no, Have we done the Armoury <laughs> show? Yeah? <laughs> and uh, I, because I, Stephen Pastel so semi-famously used to work upstairs in a bookshop in Glasgow I think it was James Thins it was at the time, it was in the west end of Glasgow but it was in a kind of record shop stroke bookshop but you would go in and he'd be behind the counter working away, which to about a group of 30 of us was so exciting to see him there, yeah, you yeah. Know, you'd get your fanzine, and we're taking because I'm, I'm from Edinburgh, I lived in Edinburgh so we'd go through and buy fanzines and all that and trying to tell that's Stephen Pastel behind the counter there, you know, off, off the pastels, baby honey fame and all that. I and, love that. And my, <laughs> my girlfriend... This is absolutely right and proper. My girlfriend was not... In, well, she wasn't... She wasn't interested. She kind of... She tried to empathise with the fact I was excited about someone who she'd never heard of, never knew was a musician, but was working behind the counter in a bookstroke record shop. But there he was, and you could go in and see him and talk to him about the pastels and, and, and music in general. So not only were you but buying she records... maybe unaware that she's getting her milk delivered by a former member of Nazareth or something. Yeah. I mean, this is going <laughs> yeah. on, isn't it? No, well, the, the bass player of things, Orange so. Juice. But you see, I think people runs should... a delicate test. I don't know. Is it? I don't, don't know, but the point is the Scottish <laughs> rock folklore and mythology, I think, is very very rich and very uh, and very vibrant, isn't it? You so know, what's the state of Scottish pop now, I think. Maggie? I think... <laughs> It's pretty good. Because some of my favourite albums of, say, the last two years have been, have been... You know, obviously, I mean, I don't live there. I've lived in London for years. But, you know, I think of um, Checkmate Savage by the Phantom Band. I thought it was a great album. There's a guy called The Pictish Trail who released an album maybe last year called The Secret Sounds, which contains one of my favourite songs, I think, of the last ten years uh, on it. It's... Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful album, and the song itself is called "I Don't Know Where to Begin." It's absolutely beautiful, and you've got a band called Found from Edinburgh. I think that really rate them. 
Um, Steve Mason's solo album came out this year. That's great. You know, Camera Obscura. All that. So there's plenty. I think you, so. You probably haven't heard this thing we're going to play now. I don't want to say, make it seem that we've set you up at all, but uh, Kate Mossman produced this yesterday and said, I've been sent this in the post. I said, we've got to talk about this with, with Dougie Anderson tomorrow. And I think Fraser's just going just gonna to play a snatch of this in the background. So tell us what it is, Fraser. Uh, this is uh, music for the kilted generation by the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Yeah. Yes. yes, of course it is. And I this mean, is uh, this is an ACD. That was ACDC. It too. was. Yeah, that was. Uh, What's that tune called? Long, long way to the top. If you want to bag rock, there you because go. do you know? Have you seen that brilliant clip of ACDC going through the streets of Melbourne on the back of a truck when they're playing the original? And Bon Scott's got his pipes, and they've got four pipers on the back of the truck, and it is just tremendous. Oh, so have they got form on the piping? Oh, yeah. And, and they trade like Angus Young and the pipers. They trade solos, and I know. I mean, listen. Don't get me wrong. I don't think bagpipes should have anything to do with popular music oh, you know, n- never the twain should meet <laughs> no, a- apart from that works and also the 1982 Scotland World Cup song We Have a Dream sung by John Gordon Sinclair which is a rousing <laughs> bagpipe bit at the end how does that go? it goes you know, we have a dream if dreams come true then Bonnie Scotland we'll score the winning goal <laughs> <today."> <laughs> that's, that's, that's and, and is that the last Scottish uh, World Cup song? No, no, the last one was in 1998. It's the last good Scottish World Cup song. Right. The one in 86 was rubbish, and uh, Fish did one called The Lion Roars or some nonsense <laughs> in 1990. Um, you know, but 82 was a great one. 78, Andy Cameron, Tartan Army, that was all good. 74 was a really a glam rock one called <laughs> Yabba Dabba Do, we support the boys in blue. Yabba Dabba! Easy, and that was easy. By who? Come on. I, I, it was, it, it, well, it was by the Scotland World Cup squad with various session musicians, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, we have a dream. It's worth um, it's worth going on YouTube for that as well. With the uh, old because jo- it was just you know on the back of Gregory's girl. Yes, and he speaks the uh, the verses. Right. It's great. Right. It's um, yeah. it's really good. So will you be buying a copy of uh, Red Hot Chili Pipers? I've, I've got to be honest <laughs> with you, I, I, I won't. Um, but it's it's great to hear the pipes. It gives me a hankering for the old country. <laughs> See, I thought, I thought my feeling about that record. <clears throat> I thought it was quite a good idea, but not done. As well as it might be, because we were playing bits of it this morning, and you, the pipes don't come in until too late in the song. You know, the basic mm. joke is that rock tunes done by pipers get the pipes in very early, which they don't tend to do. The word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Put, put in, put in, put in order of personal preference. The following five Scottish groups: the sensational Alex Harvey Band. <laughs> Travis, the Jesus and Mary Chain, Doll by Doll, and Biffy Clyro. Oh, oh. And maybe altered images. Actually, just think of Claire Grant. Okay, I'll. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Biffy Clyro. Um, Dave be... loves them, so now again we're going to have a <laughs> massive rock. I just, in fact, I was watching a Biffy Clyro song on the telly with my flatmate, and we we're both like, "Does nothing for you, does it?" We're like, "No, it doesn't." And I know that. You know, because we're not on a radio station just now, you know, and if we just played a Biffy Clyro song, we'd have to go, well, that was Biffy Clyro. Um, let's go up to Jackie and the Quickfoot Flyer. You know, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't give an opinion on it. You yeah. would just... But they 
They don't do anything for me. I Jesus and Mary Chain I'd put probably top. Pretty good. Yeah, Sensational Alex Harvey band. Um, much, much respect for. I remember hearing a story about him actually when he was in a hotel in America somewhere, and Bob Dylan was in the same, the same hotel. I like this and, already. And um, <laughs> I wish I could remember the story better. <laughs> But apparently Dylan knew who he was and was a bit of a fan, but Alex Harvey was in a Celtic top, pissed out his face, and Dylan wanted to approach him, but didn't in the end, because he, he was a bit scared of well, him. Well, you would be but terrible. There was, a, there was a sort of, I think, even a, a, mutual, a mutual respect. Travis... I mean, this is brilliant. You're like, it's like it's like Prime Minister's question time. He has remembered all six <laughs> parts of this question, hasn't he? Travis, just, Travis are inoffensive. But in a way that makes them slightly offensive, because you kind of same could be applied to your pals B and S. I, <laughs> so. I know. But moving on. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I think writing to, <laughs> writing to reach you was a nice a nice tune. Very good. That's the um, master. I, I think it is, isn't it? That That's is a really that, that good is genuinely song. a lovely, lovely song. I couldn't agree more. And and I like the use of a banjo in the um, in the song, which went to like number one for a week from the. The, the album afterwards called Sing with yeah. the chorus Sing, 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 Sing. You know, That's which, right. Um, had a lovely lyrical dexterity to it. Yeah. Um, I'm. See, Travis were one of those bands who came sort of post the second wave of Britpop, weren't they, really? And everyone loved them. But at that point, at that point in, say, 97, 98, that's when. That's when the three EPs by the Beta Band had come out, you know, the be- and that—that's they were the best Scottish band going by a country mile, and of course never sold the <laughs> records. Any fool, no. Never sold the records that Travis did. I had an absolute musical epiphany in 1998 when I first saw uh, the Beta Band. It was just unbelievable. I, I can remember that I've been working in London for a week doing work experience at a music promotions company. Oh really? And um, which doesn't exist what did anymore. That well, I remember on the Wednesday, my, I phoned up my dad. I was like, oh, I'm just in London still, Dad. He goes, so what does this company do? But, you know, I was like, well, music promotions. He's like, well, what's that? I'm like, I'll phone you back tomorrow night. I'll find <laughs> out. <'cause laughs> I'm no idea. Sure. It just but, sounds great. So they kind of, they sent out records to, on, from record companies to radio stations, DJs, to get feedback on all that. And, you know, I wasn't getting paid or anything, but I got to take as many free records as I wanted on the Friday. And that was just blissful. Just loads of vinyl, loads of CDs. And one of them was the three EPs by the Beta Band, which was about to come out as the collective three EPs. I already had them, you know, yeah. as just standalone EPs. So I took that back. And I got back to Edinburgh. That's a decent wage, isn't it? Oh, I was, that's all I wanted. I yeah. was, and I was happy to be in London. Well, London was very exotic. <laughs> yeah. exotic. You know, I used to walk around Camden. I used to walk around Camden and go, that's the Good Mixer pub. Yeah. You know, that's where Rick Witter's probably been once. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and I got back to Edinburgh, and about a week later, the Beta Band were playing, and I went to see them. And I remember saying to the people I was with, I've never felt this way about a band since the Stone Roses. When I, and that's when I seriously got into music at the age of 13. Like many other people, you know, with the Stone Roses. And I just thought, that th- this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I'm never, you know, ch- exchanging instruments, songs done, not just verses, chorus, a guitar. So I'd never seen songs performed in that way. And of course, when you had tunes like Inner Meet Me, Dry the Rain and all that, it was just extraordinary. And, um, and that was it. I fell in love with them and I still... As I was saying earlier on, they are in my still in my top bracket of all time favourite bands, and I know that 
there aren't many people who would agree with me on that, but I just don't give a shit if they don't. <laughs> no, I, mean, I really don't. It's, um, I, I just thought they were... And I think it's testament to who they supported, like, you know, two tours with Radiohead and all that. Ra- you know, Radiohead saw exactly how good, how good they were. It's just a shame they didn't sell as many records and had to sort of end it because they didn't, you know, they didn't have any money left. I kind of find it weird how you'd, you'd have, say, a band like that who were so critically lauded... And yet, bands like Travis, who weren't, but still, you know, have this mass, mass appeal. So you know, that's always been the I know, I know. I, 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 find, I find it annoying, as opposed to surprising. I suppose. Yeah, but it's if you work on a, a, on music in music publishing, you have to look at it the other way, which is there are certain bands who sell virtually no records at all, but sell a lot of magazines. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Waits is a really good example. Tom Waits. Tom Waits has a, a, an absolutely devoted constituency. He will buy anything that has an interview with Tom Waits in it. But uh, but the, you know, that doesn't translate to massive records. I'll tell you one thing I should, I should tell you about, you know, if you were talking about Scottish pop and is it in a good state. You know, Teenage Fan Club brought out their new album this year, Shadows, containing the first single off it, Baby Lee, which I just thought was sounded such effortlessly beautiful pop music. I just thought it was, thought it was great. And on... Um, I've got I know, a very, very bittersweet relationship with that album because on Bank Holiday Weekend, I was, in, I was in a bar. It was my friend's birthday. And I had four pints of Guinness. And I had to get up early the next day to finish off this script I had to write. And um, I thought, I'll just wander home, got my iPod, I'll listen to the fan club album, and it'll be really nice. I just alone my thoughts. and you know. So I was walking home, and it was, I was just thinking about this, that, and the next thing. And um, I was about... Ten minutes from my house, and uh, and coming towards me, I saw two guys with hoods up and scarfs around their face, and I remember thinking, "Oh, this this People does so plagued by this does no by bode their well." Level of celebrity. <laughs> oh, I see. I thought it was going to be yeah. <laughs> this does no bode well. It's Bob Dylan and Alex Harvey. And, uh, yeah. and I've been you know listening to Norman Blake and all that, and I thought, "Oh no, oh no!" So I switched off music. Put, put the earphones in my pocket. But, you know, I put... They're white earphones. You can see them a mile off. And they got as close as you are to me now, and they just said, give us your iPod now. And, and I had these four pints of Guinness, so I was quite, you know, chilled out, but then the heart was thumping. And I just had this thought. I, mean, I was like, how dare they? I was really enjoying the new Teenage Fan Club album. <laughs> they do not look, this is Teenage Fan they Club. They do not look to. like Teenage Fan Club fans. And I'd put on all these new songs. You know, I'd yeah, put you on loads of new stuff. This I, had, I had the, the Nick Gary album, the Nightmare of J.B. Stanislas, which was reissued this year. It was a beautiful bar- baroque sort of pop album from 69. And Bob Lind, another one of my favourites, who about two people in the whole country like. Bob Lind. Bob Lind. <laughs> that is, I thought he's worthless to made their way and, back to. To, and to wherever and, with uh, the elusive butterfly of love yes, <laughs> yes, was, going to, yes. was going to entertain them. Yes. Oh, and, yeah, and and the Bob, the Bob Lind version, not the Val Dunican oh, one, which also got oh, into the oh, charts. Oh. And um, and they said, "No, give us your iPod now." And I just thought, I don't know where it came from. I thought I have to channel Francis Begbie from Train Spotting in some way. And I thought, sound really Scottish. Shout, keep walking. But don't run. I've got to write this down. Sound really So sound really Scottish. Keep walking. Keep walking. Don't run. Don't so run. I was like, then he threatened me a bit on iPod. Then he threatened me a bit on iPod. Oh, that's and, very good. And oh, their their retort was, "Oh, don't try doing the Scottish thing, mate." <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was putting on 
the accent. No. And and this put my heart something. I was like, keep walking, but don't run. Keep. And there were no cars around. I was like, where are all the bloody cars? And I was at like, a roundabout. And um, I was like, Denny, Denny, Denny threatened me. And I used son, uh, but Denny threatened me, son. Denny threatened me, son. <laughs> and, and after a minute of this standoff, because I'm not, I, don't, I wouldn't know how to fight, you know. Um, the closest I've come to a fight in recent years was when I was, you know, at a record fair and I was well, toying with a lighter than Solomon And after about a minute, um, they went one way and I went the next. And I got home. And my flatmate was up, and I was kind of a bit shaken. I, I, I told him what had happened, and I said, "I said I put on you know, I, I put on this really sort of you know, real Leith accent, you know, a real Begbie accent." And I, I said it worked, and he just went, I "Don't think that would have worked with my Berkshire accent at all." I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my, but my, so my advice to anyone who's you know listened to their music, the music they love on their iPod, and they do get a, and I hear some they had metal bars, they had two of these metal oh, bars. Oh, great! And, I that. But I just had this thought, I would dare they want to take my iPod it's only 100 quid I'm sure they could afford an iPod you know and that's what and I was going to say do people still steal iPods I couldn't yeah. imagine it was still d- worth well the sad thing as well you, I didn't even have the respect they hadn't even come up and go what my what's the time you know they, they, there, was, yes. there was no set so disrespect yeah. like, no foreplay if you're going to try and try and, you know, <laughs> what kind of girl do you yeah, think yeah, I am yeah, yeah, yeah if they come up and you go straight to the main course they could have rude they could have come yeah there was not even a excuse me you look like a bit of a Bob Lind fan you know give us your iPod you have nothing so Mark you've got to recount the story of your your mugging that you told again recently which I've never i never heard oh god Go on, you're going to do it. No, people want to know. People want to know. This is all right. Well, I'll try to work out now if I can can put this into bullet points as you have so usefully done with yours. But I was coming back from an awards show in this about two three years ago in London, and uh, it was an awards show which I suppose I thought the magazine I was which I think was this one actually. I think it was the word. It was quite recently, and I thought we were. I suppose I thought we were going to win an award. I suppose I also feel as you do if you go to those things, you've had a couple of drinks. You you kind of think you deserve it. You think you'd like to win. And some magazine, which I won't mention, uh, won the award, uh, uh, which I, I didn't feel was as worthy of this award as, as Word magazine. So I'd had a couple of drinks. He hasn't mentioned that bit. Before. Yeah, I'd had a couple of drinks. <laughs> and I was going home a little bit uh, a little bit disgruntled. And I decided I was going to get the bus to Shepherd's Bush. I was going to walk home from Shepherd's Bush. I live in Chiswick, you mm. know. And, uh, of course, there is a thin avenue uh, along the uh, Shepherd's Bush Road uh, between two massive uh, crack estates, basically. <laughs> well known that one should never walk through there, particularly when one's had a couple of drinks and is wearing a dinner jacket, right, and removed the bow tie. <laughs> did you have a cummerbund? But a white, well, I, had a, I did have a cummerbund. <laughs> yeah, a white you're shirt. You're wearing the old soup and fish. So I literally, I looked like, uh, so I, I, like I walked out of a PG Woodhouse. Tell yeah. people yeah. I'm making his way Mid-70s Billy Joel. Oh, exactly. exactly yeah. Right. Yeah. So I suppose it looks like I might have a couple of quid in my top pocket. But Crackheads anyway. shouting, here comes the piano man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm walking through it. And anyway, it's quiet. It's about two o'clock in the morning now. And, and, uh, and I suddenly feel I've made a mistake, you know. And sure enough, I hear the echoing footsteps mm. of a man running across the road. Not armed, as far as I can see. And he, well, he actually said, oh, can I use this word on a podcast? Yes, yes. Yeah, is that right? Whatever it is, yes. Well, it's, it's a room. Sorry, any <laughs> children, please. Just you know, just turn the volume down. If there's children in the back of the car, but anyway, he said, "Come to me." He says, "Give me your wallet, you cunt!" <laughs> right? And I'm, I'm, I was just really uh, 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 knocked out by the by the violence of this expression. 
rather like you. I was going, that's no way to start a conversation. <laughs> is it? How yeah. do you melt, melt the ice at parties? Say yeah. things like that. I thought we were going to be friends. Bit of banter. Have you heard the elusive butterfly yeah. laugh? You know, maybe we can find some way to get on. Do you but kiss your mother with that mouth? Yeah, exactly. I thought that was a bit much. And actually, I had, like you, I had this, I think they call it um, uh, fight or flight, which is you get yeah. an immense surge of adrenaline. Yeah, you have yeah. two options. One is you're going to fuck off as fast as your little feet can carry it. <laughs> the other is you're going to go windmilling into this person inadvisedly uh, because, you know, those are the two options. The body's mm. absolutely revved mm. up, you know. And I'm a little bit pissed, but I'm so horrified and pissed off and, and angry at this situation, this guy trying to take this money off me, clearly a heroin addict, uh, that I... I jump up in the air, right, like this. <laughs> and I, I do that, OK? So my arms are wheeling round, and my legs, and in a combination of these, I actually fall over <laughs> the ground against a metal fence, right? But so you think, well, this guy's kind of got me, really, if he wants me. But he, of course, is so destabilised, confused, and suddenly frightened by this extraordinary flurry. I look like one of those, like a, one of the clouds from a from an Andy Cap cartoon. Yes. Of which flurry uh, and Andy's, if it's been anything to anybody, was my age. Yes. Yeah, with a boot out of one side and a fist down the other. Just a huge, great yes. melee of, of <laughs> flailing limbs. <laughs> and you're just one person. One person. And uh, I then get up, kind of dust myself down. It's that moment where you just looking at each other utter incomprehension and then I decided to leg it so I legged it and I can run extremely fast and was absolutely nowhere quite out of breath from that <laughs> nobody's going to catch me but that was basically what happened so what the, what's the advice there I don't know just uh, well if you're just... your size you know if you move around violently you would frighten most people in your vicinity uh, I think know, I probably he's got would. the Scottish accent on his side. You, you've got the sheer, your sheer physical size. Yeah, but I sure like no use. Done neither of them are any use to me. Don't try that on me, Jimmy. Well, no, it's not the thing. Is do they not say in, in those kind of situations? Another thing to do is say something to them that doesn't connect with the situation at all. Oh right, and and for a split second, so it's awful about those I, miners in Chile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, or no, not even something that makes sense. You yeah. know, like, you know, orange telephones four pounds in the. Oh good, that's you know, good. In, in the soup and the jelly, they're like, well, eh? And, and then in that split second, that could be you're out. You know, and you just get out of there. Oh very and, good. Or like lanky men like ourselves, we can just flail around a, a bit. Yeah, um, so that's right. Do a kind of bizarre yeah, well, little jig and... Um, well, that's all advice. God, you know, so crime, make of it crime why prevention you, advice why you will, on yeah, why you podcast. Will. I just want to ask you about your, your TV presenting mm. um, uh, work at the moment. seems to take you into extraordinary kind of nether world of sports it's, coverage it's, it's, that I feel that you ought to tell us about. It's weird how some things happen. I have to, I have to be honest with you. Like a few years ago, did the Red Bull Air Race? That was for Red Bull T- Air T4, Race for Channel Four. But the only reason I was in, oh, I mean, this is probably an insight into the television industry in some ways, but only my experiences in it, not those of uh, sort of say Radio One presenters who go on Radio One and then get a ten-part series about this, that, and the next thing. That's probably the proper and easy way to do it. The production company that were doing it, Tiger Aspect, I was there writing a, a pilot for this little idea that I had. And I got a phone call from a friend of mine who was there saying, oh, they're doing this Red Bull that goes all around the world, and Connie Huck's presenting it, but they need a male presenter. And they heard... So you're going to go around the world with Connie Huck? Yeah. that has got to be worse jobs than that. And, um, <laughs> and, I love Connie. And so I... And, and they said, yeah, you go to Detroit. And I, I, I immediately thought, Detroit? Home of Robocop? All that music? You know... And then and, Connie they, Huck? and they said, and the last one's in Australia, so you will fly to Australia. I was like, Australia? With Connie I've Huck? heard of that. Oh, yeah. well, and um, isn't it? and so, and I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. 
And I said to him, you know, I, you know, I don't know anything about planes and stuff, but you know, I've done a lot of things where I don't really know much about it. I'll do research, and it's fine. He's going, no, it's fine because they, they want it to be slightly irreverent and all that. I was like, I can do irreverence <laughs> with with or without Connie Hug. <laughs> um, but she had she had a good idea because even though it, it, it did really well ratings wise and it got nominated for some awards, quite bizarrely, like some sports broadcasting awards and stuff, she had the right idea. She went and married Charlie Brooker, and got the spin-off show to the biggest show on television. Um, and I went to work with Bell and Sebastian. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, now you've uh, also done Crofts. I'll tell you how Crofts came about working with. This is so exciting. And, I, too. And, and again, it's not often. I think I'm literally the only person who can sit anywhere in the world and say, "This year, I've worked with Bell and Sebastian and Claire Balding." Claire Balding, um, who is delightful. Who sure is, is delightful. Yeah, well, and that right. came about because when I'd done a thing about poker for Channel Four, the same company were doing Crofts. Channel Four got the um, got the rights to it. And they wanted, in their words, not mine, I'm not correlating me to him in any way, but they said, yeah, we want uh, you, know, you to go there in a sort of Louis Theroux-esque way, you know, see the people, the, the madness that's there, and just do some reports on it. And I was like, great, carte blanche, you know, to have a bit of fun with it, not taking the fun out of them, but, you know, a few suggestive looks to camera are always quite handy. <laughs> and, um, and that's how that came about. But at the same time, see, I, I live a slight, I think, double life in a way, because... When I did that Red Bull Air race, some of the guys I was working with, cameramen, sound men, um, they had worked on Band of Brothers, HBO, they worked with Shane Meadows, Chris Morris, and I had this script for a short film that I wanted to do. And we got on really well. I showed them another short I'd done two years previously. They loved it. And so they ended up being my crew, and they had all their own cameras, sound studios, all the rest of it, did it for free. Out the kindness of the heart, and because they liked it and all that, they liked the script, they liked the idea, and that was the film that Stuart Murdoch saw. So it has this weird right. kind of all these different links. So if I can do stuff which, you know, professionally, which I'll enjoy, obviously get paid for, but I can crew up from it as well, yeah, yeah, then, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I can still do my little yeah. artistic endeavours, you know, out with the kind of professional broadcasting content. So have you, done, have you done poker coverage on the telly? Well, that was, yeah, that was for Channel 4, it was like this big. British poker tour. Do you understand um, poker? Yeah, I do. I'm not great at it. Um, but Victoria Corum was doing it as well, oh, so right. she was the expert, the expert and she was common. She had quizzical looks to camera so, and, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I just looked, I, I, I just looked confused in car parks outside casinos and places <laughs> in, 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 in Birmingham and Newcastle and, uh, and all that kind of stuff, yeah. So in TV, they're desperately always looking for sports that can just... They can somehow get off the schedules that they can afford to cover. I tell you, what, I've got to be in my bonnet about sports broadcasting because you know the Ryder Cup wasn't on the BBC; it should have been. The Ashes mm. are going to be on Sky again. There are various sporting events that sh- should absolutely be shown on you know free to air television. And I was watching an interview last week with David Davis, who used to work, I think, for the FA, the FA or the Football yes. League, one or two. And he chairs this committee who decides... I think they've got band one and band two, band one being Wimbledon, FA Cup yeah, final, yeah, World yeah, Cup yeah. final, which will have... You know, they must be on free to air. And then band two, which contains... Yeah, the aforementioned you know, Ryder Cup, the Ashes and all that. Now, if we remember, people talk about the greatest Ashes series ever, 1995. For the cricket, yes, it was. It was absolutely well. But because it was on Channel 4, everyone they all could saw see it. it. And it made it such a far bigger spectacle than, say, last year's Ashes. Because I was working, I was working doing these films with the England cricket team last year, and um, and it was a great series. 
But it was on Sky, and so the, the excitement generated wasn't what it would be, you know, for the whole country if it had been on Channel yeah. 4 again on the BBC. And But David Davis, in this interview, said... Um, it was on Sky News, and he said, you know, I, you know, we decided to put it in band B so it wouldn't be shown. But, uh, you know, because I'm not a big golf fan, but I did watch it, and I thought, wow, what an exciting event that was. And I thought... Did you not know it would be an excited event? Did you not know there'd be massive interest? And if it was on BBC, it would be in a ratings winner. Yeah. And I just thought, my God, son, you know how how did you end up in that job? But, but isn't isn't the, the irony of these things? You know that we all we all would like to see all these things on the BBC and ITV, but the sporting bodies want the largest check they possibly get. No, ever. of course, of course. And, and, you know, allegedly to to pump into the grassroots of the sport. Yeah. You know, so they can put fortunes into football, and we have loads and loads of world class players coming through in England. In Scotland. That hasn't worked, has yeah. it? Sorry, sorry. I, you said <laughs> world class players in Scotland for a second. Where are we? 1986. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, well, coming to tonight, you're going to, Fraser, you're going to Wembley. I am, as always. Yeah. Montenegro. Uh, and Scotland are taking on Spain. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the old coupon buster, that one, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, well, it, it all went tits up against the Czech Republic, didn't it? I mean, it's. Um, I, I will go home, I will watch it for a while. At half time, I will listen to John Gordon Sinclair and we have our dream. <laughs> I, will, I, I will weep at the sound of the bagpipes. I will weep when the fourth Spain goal goes in. And then uh, I'll probably just weep in bed as I drift off to sleep. But hey, so, do you know what, right? Being a Scotland fan, and I, my, my club team are Hibs, you know, the Edinburgh side, it prepares you for everything in life. You know, if you can be a Hibs fan and a Scotland fan, you can deal with absolutely anything in life. I've been through so much heartache. And false hope. And as I always say to people, you know, in similar situations... You must seem a downhill stroll. It's, it's awful. I always say to people... to your back. I always say to people, you know, Hibs will let you down. Scotland will let you down. A good album, a good book, a good play, a good film will never let you down. And that's why sort of culture and pop culture are so important. Without trying, to, without trying to sound like I'm on, you know, Late Review or Newsnight or whatever, <laughs> whatever it's actually called now. But, you know, I mean, Scotland will lose tonight... But I can go and listen to Tiger Milk by Bell and Sebastian or Hot Shots too. What would be Tony Carson's response to this? Or you know the the Jack Nietzsche sessions of Bob Lind or whatever, and that'll just that'll give me enough gratification to um, to get through what what will continue to be an absolutely disastrous qualifying campaign for a competition we're never going to get into. You never know; they might win. <clears throat> That's sport. Um, uh, but they might. Montenegro have won three games, haven't they? Yes, they have. You know, anything can happen. So, well, thanks very much for coming Absolute in. Absolute pleasure. It's, it's, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, we're, we're going to play out with something special this, uh, this week. Yes, it's far more pro than we usually are. <laughs> and Fraser can explain the genesis of this particular project, can't yes, you? One of our uh, regular readers on the blog, Backward Seven, um, contributed an elegy to the uh, forgotten bands of Britpop. So the bands of Britpop who would never get to have the kind of luxurious... Box set re-release. I've, like, I've seen this. There's, like, a, there's yeah. a thread on, on the website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, so it's from heavy the word stereo and, yeah. and salad and that kind of people. And uh, we thought it deserved to be uh, given a real voice. So we asked Steve Lamack. He said yes. So and Steve recorded it. And uh, this is the result. Don't Look Back in Anger by Backwards 7. Read by erstwhile King of Britpop, Steve Lamack. Don't Look Back in Anger. Look back instead to your appearance on the front cover of The Melody Maker... And three weeks later, your triumphant debut show at the Good Mixer in Camden. 
fated never to appear as extra DVD content to accompany the re-release of your first album as a deluxe remastered edition. Critically acclaimed in its time, the enemy pronounced it a clarion call to the working classes, though secretly you came from Henley and attended the Blue Coat School in Reading. In full-page review, they witted on about fox hunting and the evils of Thatcherism, while in The Melody Maker, Neil Kulkarni used your lyrics in collage to pen an embarrassing love letter to his girlfriend. Oh, heavy stereo, no shiny cardboard digipack will grace your album Deja Voodoo. No miniature box containing postcards, no credit card with code to access the fans-only section of your website. No perspex sleeve bearing the legend Deluxe Edition guards the scuffed jewel casing. The plastic, worn opaque as a cataract, stares blindly at a copy of Cracked Rear View by Hootie and the Blowfish, against which it slouches in the racks of the record and tape exchange in Camden. Oh, strange love, no critical reappraisal awaits your eponymous third album, whose title seemed to say, here are some more songs from the band Strange Love. Oh, Echo Belly, that we know bountiful reissue of your 1994 debut, Everybody's Got One. No essay by Nick Hornby to garnish the liner notes. Instead, he pens a short story about a man named Mick Formby, who suffers a midlife crisis in the ready meals aisle at Waitrose when he can't remember the name of the lead singer from the band magazine. Oh, Salad, you said goodbye to the S section in the rock and pop department of HMV. Brave pioneers, you cast your lot upon digital oceans and dubious torrents, like Jeff Bridges in the films Tron and Tron Legacy. Pearl from Powder, you resembled a French assistant and joined the Britpop duet bandwagon with Neil from Delicatessen, just as the Ballad of Tom Jones by Tommy from Space and Keris from Catatonia peaked at number four in the UK singles chart. Then there was no choice other than to marry Danny Goffey from Supergrass and move to Somerset. In my dream, it is 1996. I enter the HMV in Covent Garden and select from the racks a collector's edition of Nuisance by Menswear. Vinyl replica sleeve, an obi strip with Japanese writing guards the cardboard spine. Import sticker and price tag, £35. Two bonus tracks, unavailable in the UK. I weep as I take out my wallet. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk.